Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Patty Vest. And I'm Mark Wood. In these extraordinary times, we're coming to you from our various homes as we all shelter in place. This season on SageCast, we're talking to Pomona faculty and alumni about the personal, professional, and intellectual journeys that have brought them to where they are today. Today, we're talking with Mike Budenholzer, class of 92, head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks and two-time NBA coach of the year. Welcome, Mike. Um, I know this is it's the middle of the season, and so it's got to be a crazy busy schedule for you. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us. I'm, I'm happy to take a, a few minutes and visit with you guys. So looking forward to it. So it's just it's been, well, now it's been just over a year since the pandemic um, shut down the 2020 NBA season. Um, and a lot has happened since then. So uh, what has that year been like for you and your team? Yeah, it's it's been a year unlike any other, just like, you know, everybody in, 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 I guess, our world, you know, our country, every community, it's, you know, nothing has been like what we're used to. And uh, the NBA is, is, you know, living that same experience. So um, just a, a lot of challenges, but, you know, I think they're, while things have been incredibly hard and difficult and, you know, concerned about just all the things happening uh, that that are not good. That while being challenged, there's been some positives and some things that you know you, you maybe would have never had happen. Um, and try and try and focus a little bit on that with your team, and um, you know just find a way to keep keep getting through, and and hopefully um, you know take care of each other and, and get back to some normalcy sometime soon around the corner. Hopefully, Mike, has there been? Um... You, you mentioned there's been an upside to this past year. Um, can you tell us what the upside has been yeah. either for you, your team, um, or for the league? I know that the, the one that is just the easiest and the most personal that that's, you know, makes the most sense is I, I've got to spend so much time with my kids, um, that, you know, it's just, you, you know, lockdown is, is so hard and, and I never want to make it sound like a good thing. But when all of a sudden you get to spend, you know, almost three or four uninterrupted months, almost literally uninterrupted, you know, every day, every meal, you know, for me with my 20 year old daughter and then a lot with, with my other three kids, too. It, it just I was like, oh, I don't think I would have ever had this time. And um, you know, conversations and just all the meals and, and, and a lot of dead time and, you know, just <laughs> puzzling and not talking to each other and things like that. But I just, I do think families maybe got a chance to, to have just, you know, that uninterrupted, um, you know, quality time that you would have, you could have never created, um, without something like this. And, you know, the team, you know, I think the team just, you know, is similar has put been, you know, anytime there's some adversity and challenges, you kind of usually come together and you have to find ways to get through it together and uh, spend, you know, maybe more time or, or time in different ways. And, um, you know, so, you know, and, and I think our team is, is, you know, we've done some pretty unique and special things during the last 12 months that I think all of us are proud of. And, and um, you know, so, yeah, but I think, you know, try and find that silver lining or positives in everything in life. And, there's been a little bit of it for sure over the 12 months. So let's let's take a step back into the past. Um, what, what were you like as a child? Um, 
Were you a gym rat? Yeah, I, w- I was a gym rat. Um, it's funny, I don't hear that phrase anymore. So definitely. <laughs> hey, it definitely, dates me, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, well, both, both me and you, because I was definitely, um, you know, a, a phrase that I, I guess I, I took to or, or was it was accurate. And I, I was really, really lucky because my dad was a high school basketball coach. So, mm-hmm. you know, going to see my dad at work or, you know, in his office space was the gym. And so I... I mean, from a very, very young age, remember, you know, chasing balls that went out of bounds and rebounding and picking up towels and, you know, watching my dad um, run a practice and and then shooting afterwards and, you know, being able to get into the gym at, at hours when I guess it technically was closed or nobody knew we were there. And um, and a little bit of a backdoor rat, too, or back uh, back backyard <laughs> backyard rat. I, I had a a great, you know, uh, outdoor court, you know, a hoop. Uh, I feel like I wore that thing out in my backyard. And so I, I love, love, love basketball and spent hours and hours and hours, um, you know, by myself and playing with, with friends and pick up and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely fell into that category. <laughs> How early did you start? What, what age were you when you first picked up a basketball? Do you remember? Oh, uh, no, I don't. I always joke that it was in my, in my crib or, you know, <laughs> it was, it was the, uh, probably before they put a bottle in my hand, they put a ball in my hand. So that's <laughs> my family, you know, when your dad's a coach, I think that's kind of how it works. And so, yeah, yeah I don't, I, it's literally, like don't even remember when it happened. Did your dad want you to be a, a basketball player in particular? Was he was he helpful or or pushy or <laughs> any of those things? All of those. All of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I grew up in a really really small town in northern Arizona, and most of the kids played every sport. So you know, I would say my my dad and my mom. My mom was a big you know you know fan and supportive of sports and athletics and the town I grew up in, everybody played everything. So, you know, my dad just wanted me playing sports and, you know, playing baseball and football and golf and any, anything, you know, it, it was, we were, we were very, very involved in athletics. It was a big part of our family's lives and, and basketball did have maybe slightly higher place, but it was really just, you know, you were, you know, always playing something and involved in something and on a team. And um, I think they really thought that that was important. I'm, I'm the youngest of seven, all of my siblings, we all played. And it's just kind of what you did. And, um, and I loved it. Mike, tell us about a little bit about your days at Pomona. Was it basketball, the main thing that brought you to Pomona? There were, I guess I had a couple of different options or places to go play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I chose Pomona was I could get the best education while still playing basketball. So mm-hmm. if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, you know, I wasn't a great high school player, but I was okay. And, and I had a couple other places and, and really none of them were probably even in the same realm academically as Pomona. And I kind of, to be honest with you, it was thinking about some junior colleges um and then maybe hopefully going from a junior college to a division one I still had dreams of playing you know 
right. at the University of Arizona or, you know, big time college uh, division one basketball. And, and so I kind of, you know, I, I don't know how or why or exactly what the process was, but I decided it probably still playing was really important to me, but maybe getting a really good education and going to a really good school should, should move up my list of priorities. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm so grateful I did. So, um, and I, I loved playing basketball at Pomona. It was a huge part of my experience, but you know, like, like all everybody, I think that chooses Pomona, you, you, you end up choosing it because you think you're going to get a, or you are going to get a great education. And, and that's probably the most important thing. And then playing basketball was a great, you know, addition to that experience. So I'll preface this question by reminding people who, or telling people who may not know it out there that, that you know, uh, Greg Popovich, the, the you know, legendary um, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, um, actually um, coached at Pomona Pitzer for, for, for a number of years. But I believe he left just before you arrived. Is that right? So you, you, you would have played for Coach Katsiafikas, uh, Charlie Katsiafikas, who's still the coach here today. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. My, my first year at Pomona was Coach Katz's first year as the head coach. Um, so we kind of arrived at the same time. And it's, it's so great. It's, I'm, I'm amazed that, you know, he's still, still the coach at Pomona and still does an amazing job. And I have a great appreciation and, and feel really fortunate that I played for coach Katz. Um, and I'm, you know, actually my first year there was probably the most fun. And we, we won the, the sky and played in the NCAA division three tournament. And so I think for coach, you know, to have, have his first year be a, a sky champion and play in the tournament. And it was a great start to a, you know, a long career for him. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was the timing. Um, coach pop left. Coach Katz came in, and and uh, that coincided with my uh, with my first year at Pomona. So, what was it like to play for Coach K, and and were you aware of Coach Pop's kind of legend around here while you were there, or did that happen later? A little bit of both. Um, you know, it was it was great to play for Coach Katz. Um, you know, he was very demanding, had a great passion for the game. Um, you know, I, I really look back and realize how much I learned from Coach Katz and appreciate it. And, um, you know, I had an up and down career. And um, sometimes I, I was, I, I think I was looking at the wrong person. I was like, well, you, you're just not playing very good. You need to play better. Um, but he, you know, he was really, really good coach um, and organized. And I remember him bringing me over to the, to the TV for, for watching clips and talking to me about, and then, you know, now I, that's something I do with, with, with our players, with the Milwaukee players or players wherever I've been. And so, you know, he was great. And, and the legend of coach pop at, at Pomona um, certainly, you know, and then he, he recruited me a little bit my senior year. So I came to campus for a visit and spent some time and, um, you know, it was kind of in the middle of the summer when it, when it was that it unfolded that he left. So, you know, had gotten to know him and learn, you know, about, you know, how much he had changed and what a big impact and he'd had on Pomona Pitzer basketball. And, and then you, you listen to the upperclassmen as you're a freshman and, and hear more stories and, 
then little do you know you're going to work you know for for coach pop for 20 years and <laughs> we would we would both laugh and and tell stories and most of them were his and what it was like um you know when he first got there and um you know so the the connection and and just you know to see you know how much the basketball program has grown and changed and really two great coaches um that have led it for I guess gosh that must be now the last 40 40 years or so between coach pop and coach cat so yeah yeah great coaches Mike you mentioned that um when choosing Pomona you 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 like I need a great education but I also want to play basketball um what was your experience as a student athlete like yeah it was great um you know I think the challenge of you know, really, you know, trying to, to find, you know, as much time as needed for your academics and make sure that that's your priority and you're taking care of that and, and then still, you know, be a dedicated athlete and somebody that, you know, wants to compete and be the best for his teammates and the team and, and you know, try and find ways to, to have success on the court. So it was great. Um, and, and Pomona, you know, they they're always going to give you anything you need to succeed and uh, academically and, and the coaches and the athletic department know that that's why you're there. And so to me, it was, it was great to have both um, and to, you know, have teammates that were, you know, all of a sudden you'd have a teammate that couldn't make practice because he had, you know, a science lab or a bio lab or something. And, and that was totally understandable, acceptable. And, to see that kind of appreciation for how important the academics were from everybody, including the coaches and not place. Uh, I mean, while our team was important, um, it was never placed above, you know, what you're trying to, to, to do um, academically. So it was, it was perfect for me and, you know, and, and saw some students or friends that, you know, stopped playing and became, you know, just decided to focus only on their academics and it was time for that phase of life. So, you kind of get to see and experience everything with that relationship between academics and athletics while you're at Pomona. So now you stuck with basketball after you left Pomona, you, you played for a year in, in Denmark. Is that right? And so how did that happen? And what was that like? Yeah. Um, it was a great, great life experience. Um, you know, I, I've, said this man I was a pretty average player at Pomona so I, I you know I would I how I was able to go to, to Denmark was really more through a few connections and writing some letters and um, a few other players from our league from the Sky Act um, had gone and played in Germany gone and played in Australia and um, coach Katz helped me uh, coach Newhall at Occidental actually was really helpful coach Newhall had had a couple a couple of his oxy players had gone and played in Denmark and, and I think they had, you know, made a good impression um, on their clubs, on their or teams. And, and so I think one of my letters fell into the right hands and they watched a little tape and had a few phone calls. And I, the, the fact that I wanted to coach and I was willing to coach at the same time while I played, I think was really attractive to these lower level teams in Denmark and, so they could get an American player who could, you know, play and, and be pretty good at that level, but then who also had a passion for, for coaching. I coached, you know, a 15 to 17 year old boys team, a junior hair team. And then I coached the women's team. Um, you know, so I was coaching 
women, you know, any age from, you know, I think, you know, the youngest were probably, I think there was some 17 year old women on a team all the way up to, you know, 35 to 40 year old women. And so I did a little bit of everything in Denmark and, and made great, great friends. And just, I loved, I loved my year in Denmark. It was a lot of fun and, and a great experience. So when did you first decide to coach? You said that this opportunity gave you that, that, that chance. Um, what drew you to coaching? Well, like I said earlier, my dad was a coach and, you know, from a very, very, very young age, I knew I wanted to coach. That was, mm -hmm. you know, when people asked me what I wanted to do, it was, you know, I want to be a coach. And mm -hmm. um, my dream was really to be a, ba a, a college basketball coach. Um, but so, you know, in high school and, and then very, very early in college, you know, I started asking questions and asking you know, people besides my dad, you know, how do you get into coaching and <laughs> particularly college coaching? And, and I got a lot of good advice and, and really something that kept being, you know, recommended to me was to work summer camps and, and just, you know, that's, that's a good place to start becoming a coach, um, meeting and being around other coaches. So I worked, I worked college or I worked uh, summer basketball camps all summer, starting my first year at Pomona or the first summer, um, at Pomona and every summer, um, you know, during my, my time at Pomona, I would, I would work camps all up and down the West coast, UCLA's camp, Stanford's camp. I'd go all the way up to Oregon to work camps. I worked university of Arizona, Lou Olson's camp. So I, I had started down this path of, you know, trying to, to make it as a, as a college basketball co coach, really kind of late high school, very early in college, I started trying to, you know, find my way into that world. And, and so, um, to go and then, you know, kind of get to coach your own team in Denmark was, was, uh, I, I, I loved it. I really, you know, thought it was an important part of, of my, my being a professional player over there. It was, it was fun. So your, your first job with the NBA was as a video coordinator with, um, San Antonio Spurs. How did that come about? And what does a video coordinator do? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll go with how did it come about first? Um, <laughs> while I, while I was in, uh, Denmark, I, I was corresponding with, you know, several coaches who, you know, had kind of become mentors or just people I could, you know, ask questions of or, or stay in contact with. And, and coach pop was one of them and he was an assistant with the, the golden state warriors and don nelson at the time and uh came home from denmark i ended up um spending about four to six weeks at golden state in their video room and uh and i'll just continue on how i got the spurs job and and yeah. that summer he became the uh that summer he became the GM or the general manager of the San Antonio Spurs. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think while I wrote him a thank you note for allowing me to spend those four weeks uh, with the Warriors, I mentioned if there's anything in with the Spurs and saying, you know, congratulations on your job. And if there's anything with the Spurs or San Antonio, I'd, I'd be very, very interested. I feel like I learned a lot while I was there. And sure enough, you know, two or three weeks later, he called and, wanted to know if I was interested in being the video coordinator for the Spurs. And I said, yes. And it took a little bit. He was considering multiple people and 
I was lucky enough to be the guy two or three weeks later, I had the job and I was on my way to San Antonio to be the head video coordinator. Um, and it's, it's mostly because of, you know, Greg Popovich and the connection and, and I did go and spend four weeks in, in Golden State learning what their video coordinator did and learning the job and kind of what I would call an internship. And um, and a video coordinator is really you're just the person who who organizes and and gets, um, you know, back then we were actually using VHS tape um, mm-hmm. and it just started transitioning from VHS to, to everything uh, being on a hard drive and, and how much storage did you have and but then you'd, you'd take a game and you'd cut it up. It could be as simple as just putting all the offensive tape possessions onto a VHS tape and all of the defensive tape uh, possessions onto a, a, a VHS tape or just the game tape. You would record, you know, we had this uh, bunch of satellites that it was, it was owned by a, a satellite, uh, I guess, uh, provider or company that sold satellites. And at night, we had a side deal that they would set their satellites to record NBA games all over the, the country. And at <laughs> six o'clock in the morning, I'd get in my car and I'd go to this, this, this satellite sales shop and we'd pick up like 10 or 15 tapes on VHS. And we, then we'd take them down to the office and we'd start cutting them up and making edits of them. And it's, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's a big part of scouting in the NBA. It's a big part of preparing. Um, you know, when they talk about preparing for another team, it's the video coordinator who's, you know, making it more efficient, making it more organized, looking at really helping the coaches, you know, find ways to look and scout and prepare. So that was my job for a couple of years in San Antonio. It was just, a, I watched I watched so much film and I learned so much um, about the NBA and uh, trains your eyes. It's just, it's an incredible place uh, to learn. I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't, um, you know, the video coordinator for two years and learn um, everything you do about, about the NBA, about basketball. And so it was, it was a great, 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 you know, learning opportunity, growth opportunity, and um, kind of an entry level types position uh, that had a huge influence on me to this day. Um, it, it's a big part of who I am. At this point, have you had you already set your sights on coaching in the NBA, or were you still thinking about college coaching? Yeah, no, I thought I was going to be with the Spurs for like two years, and then I was going to go be an assistant coach, you know, somewhere in Northern California or Colorado or wherever. I really just thought it was like kind of a a step or, you know, a, a stepping stone to, you know, then, you know, going and being an assistant coach, a college coach. And I kept, I worked, I still worked some camps while I was the video coordinator. I still, and so no, my, my ambition was still to be a college coach. Um, I just thought it would be like a two or three year little, you know, stop along the way. And little did I know, um, never never to return or never to leave uh the college or the nba game so so um how did you then segue into being an assistant coach for coach pop and what was it like working with him yeah so you know this was i guess 94 95 was my first year and and back then nba coaching staffs were were significantly smaller and 
really the video coordinator was was the next position beneath the, the assistant coaches. So we worked hand in hand mm-hmm. with the assistant coaches. And in a lot of ways, we, we were on the court helping the head coaches with drills, helping the assistant coach with drills. And, and so it was a natural progression to go from video coordinator to assistant coach. And it still is today. But there's a lot, there's, there's just a lot more assistant coaches. So it's a little harder. Um, but so it was a natural progression. And, and I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a little bit of a basketball junkie. Um, <laughs> Dave Cowens, Dave Cowens, who's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty significant, you know, NBA legend and hall of famer. He was a, one of the assistant coaches for the Spurs at that time. So I was really lucky to be around Dave Cowens for a couple of years. He became the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. And that opened up an assistant coaching position on the Spurs staff. Bob Hill was the head coach and, and, and Pop was the GM. And I guess I just tell people, I think they both, they both saw something in me. They both thought I had a bright future. And I think they both said, let's, let's, uh, let's give this guy a chance. He's a little on the young side, but, but, you know, let's, let's give him a chance. And and they both really believed in me. And I was 26 or 27 at that wow. time. I was the youngest assistant coach in the NBA and um, in, insanely, insanely fortunate to get that position at that age. And really after only two years as the video coordinator, the timing there's, there, you know, we could, I could bore you with more of just how lucky the timing was and, and everything, but I was very, very lucky. And and the two people that, you know, kind of had to make the decision or had kind of the, the, the biggest uh, input, you know, they both, they both thought I had a bright future and believed in me and, and decided to take a little bit of a chance on me. And um, I was very, very lucky. And so I just continued to work as hard as I could to make sure those two guys were, you know, still felt the same way, you know, a year later, two years later, five years later, 10 years later. So, um, you know, I was, I was really, really lucky. Do you have any stories about coach Bob that you can tell us or what is it that sets him apart? No, that's, that should have probably been the first rule of, of agreeing to do the podcast is we're not allowed <laughs> to tell any stories. <laughs> And I'm actually kind of serious. <laughs> yeah. So there are no stories that he would be okay with your telling. Yeah. No, it's like it's in the contract. A, you signed that on the it's contract. In the yeah, contract. Okay. Well, it's it's like a it's a vault, and uh, and you you don't want to be the one that ever has like this creates the slightest crack in the vault. Yes. Um, so. so so how about this? What what did you learn from him? And by the way, when did he become the coach? I know he, he was yeah. GM when you were hired. Yeah. So it was um, it was actually that my first year um, on the bench as the assistant coach. Um, so I think that was the 96, 97 season. Um, uh, coach Pop made a coaching change and um, he then became both the GM and the head coach about 20 or 30 games into that 96, 97 season. Um, the Spurs had a lot of injuries and, um, you know, had had a really, really good team for two years and then a lot of injuries and we're off to a, a really slow start and, um, and the injuries continued that year. And that's the year that ultimately led to, you know, winning the lottery and, and drafting Tim Duncan to a really good team. So that was, 
a lot of pain that first year, but it was certainly worth the pain to, to, you know, get uh, Tim Duncan in a draft. Um, so that's the year he became the head coach. And now I can't remember if there was another question um, that you just asked me along with that, but. Well, yeah, I just um, was saying, what, what did you learn from him? What, oh, yeah. what is it that makes him, I mean, he, he's, he's been a coach for a very long time, you know, in an industry where you don't stay very long normally. What, why is he, why has he been so good? Well, I, you know, I'm sure he would say this too, or start with this. He, they, they have had great players. Um, you know, Tim Duncan being, you know, probably at the top of that list. But mm -hmm. when you include David Robinson and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Kawhi Leonard and um, Sean Elliott, and it, it's just they've done a really amazing job of collecting. You know, really, really good players. Um, you know, some, some. And he would say some of it's luck, you know, the, the good luck to have one bad season and, and, and get to draft him Duncan that, you know, it's, it's, there's an element of luck, a piece of luck, <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, he's so humble. You know, I think that's, that's, you know, one thing that always stands out is the humility. Um, and I think is a characteristic that it's, it's real. It's how he lives his life every day. There's um, every step. And, and so I, I think that's helped him have great, you know, kind of sustainability. And, um, you know, and I, have, I always say his ability to connect with players and his ability to connect with staff, his ability to connect with, with just anybody and everybody in the organization. And, um, and just there's, there's a real genuine care um, that you feel. And, you know, when, when you feel like someone cares about you and wants good for you, then all of a sudden, um, you know, that person can, can push you and, and maybe get great things out of you or you want, you want to give him and, and everybody uh, your best. So he's, he's just got a, a great ability to connect and, 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 and care deeply about his players, about everybody. And, and then he, he pushes, you know, and has high expectations, high, high standards and, um, and holds you to them. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a special coach and, um, you know, learned a lot there for sure. Mike, you were with the Spurs for 17 years. Is that correct? Um, yeah, seven. I may. I think 19 total. I think 17 as an assistant coach and two as a video coordinator. Somewhere in there, 17 to 19. A lot of years for sure. <laughs> you grew up there. Yeah, when I, I think it. I think it, when I realized I was in San Antonio longer than I was in the uh, the town I grew up in, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe uh, I need to I need to get out and fly a little bit and see if I can you know, do this on my own. So, but yeah, I think it was 19 years total, long time. So, so what kept you at the in San Antonio for that long, and what made you move, uh, decide to leave and and go on to the Hawks? Yeah, I mean, I I think the biggest thing that, that kept me there for, for 19 years was it was, it was an incredible place to live and work and the quality of life, uh, you know, particularly for my family, but myself included was just off the charts. Um, you know, it, when you're involved in sports and, and, you know, especially high level NBA, but really I think any level, when you're winning a lot, there's a lot of success. There's multiple championships. Um, everybody, 
you know, that you're working with every day kind of has the same goals, the same mission, the same kind of fiber and character. And it's just, you know, when you, when you work in a great place, you kind of you're like, you know, I, I think I'm, I want to stay here as long as I can. And, <laughs> and you certainly have ambition and, and I did, but you kind of just got away your ambition and your interest in going and doing other things with how happy you are and how great your quality of life is. Um, and especially when you have kids and right. had four kids that were all born in San Antonio and going to school and, you know, great stability. It's a great place to raise kids. And I was just like, you know, let's ride this, let's ride this train for as long as, <laughs> or a little bit, at least keep, keep riding it, keep riding it. And, um, at some point you'll know when to get off and, um, and it just, you know, like I said, I, I think I got to 19 years and, and I also got the sense that there was, you know, coach pop wasn't going to retire. And so <laughs> I was like, I think, I think if I, yeah. if I, I, I do, you know, have the ambition and the desire to be a head coach that, um, waiting for that to happen. And I don't know that I would have gotten that opportunity, but it was kind of pointless because he wasn't retiring. So, um, <laughs> so at some was, point you have to leave the nest. <laughs> yeah. You have to leave the nest, no matter how great and warm and comfortable it is. And, and so, um, I just, you know, I, and I had interviewed for some jobs and not gotten them. Um, so it wasn't like, and I hadn't, you know, not, not interviewed, but there was a point after some interviews where I said, I'm not going to interview anymore. I made a conscious decision. I'm just going to stay here enjoy this. And, and then I kind of flipped the switch and said, okay, it's time. And I interviewed yeah. with several teams that summer and I was lucky enough that Atlanta hired me and it was just, it was the perfect place for me. And, um, so many great memories in Atlanta and, and the, the players and the organization and the city. And, uh, I'm really glad I, I waited as long as I did. And I'm really glad that, um, you know, Atlanta was my first place, my first stop, my first opportunity. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of positives. So I read somewhere that the average tenure of an NBA head coach is 3.7 years. Um, coach pop's been around for about 25 and you're, you're on what your eighth, I think overall uh, between the two teams. So what does it take to be a successful head coach in the NBA? Good players. Like that's so every time you ask that question, it's always, <laughs> <laughs> always comes back to the, the players. Yeah. Yeah. The coaches, I, I, I haven't gotten, I have not got one rebound yet. I haven't made one <laughs> basket yet. I haven't done anything. So the not players even steals. Do, no, they do all the heavy lifting. So, um, you know, I, 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 in, in, you know, in all seriousness, the players, the group is incredibly important and, you know, you, you just try and, and give, put, put the players in their best positions to be successful, give them, you know, give them organization, both defensively and offensively. And, you know, um, you know, just try and create, you know, uh, you know, a competitive spirit, try and create an unselfish spirit, um, get them to understand how important those things are. You know, I, I think we've taken a lot of pride in creating, you know, a, a culture and an environment where, where player development is really important. And we're really trying to help players improve and get better because, you know, even though we're joking at the, at the beginning, that it's really the players. If, if as coaches, we can help the players get better then then we're going to be better coaches or I'm, you know, people are going to think I'm a better coach. And it's really, 
it's the players that do the heavy lifting. And so anytime, you know, we can help them improve and get better and create opportunities for that player development and growth within your day, your day-to-day routine. Um, and, you know, and then it gets back to some of the things we were talking about earlier. You, you've you've got to be able to connect with your players. You know, I think, you know, they've got to feel that you really care about them and, and, you know, their career, winning, their family, just everything, them as people. And, um, you know, so there's just, there's all of that that goes into, you know, being a head coach and hopefully having some success. And, you know, I'm, I'm still growing and learning and trying to improve and um, just like the players. Um, but it's, it's a great, great challenge being a head coach. I think at any level to try and get, you know, players and teams to, to, you know, play together and, and play unselfishly and understand, you know, what goes into winning. Um, so I, it's, I've, I've been fortunate to have that challenge for, I guess, like you said, eight years now. Mike, being a head coach is also being in the spotlight, as, as you know, for, for better or for worse. Um, and sometimes fans can be pretty unforgiven. How, how do we, how do you deal with those pressures? Yeah, I, my dad, my, my dad, he didn't, I don't have like a lot of sayings for my dad, but I, I do remember, you know, he's, he's always saying, you know, one day you're going to be the, the, the you know, the, the village genius. And the next day you're going to be the village idiot, you know, and it, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's always changing. One day they love you. One day they don't. And you just can't, you know, you can't get too caught up in that and you can't, uh, you can't worry about it. And, And Coach Pop was very similar, you know, when when they're saying nice and great things about you, you know, he would always say they're prob that's probably not true. And when they're calling you a, you know, a <laughs> dirty dog and an idiot, you're probably not those things either, you know. It's so when they praise you, you probably shouldn't listen. And when they're critical of you, you probably shouldn't listen. And just know what you're doing every day to hopefully, you know, be You know, good at what your what your role is, what your job is, and and just continue to focus on that and do the best to to ignore you know both the praise and the and the you know criticism. And then along those lines of spotlight for the better, um, the NBA um, I believe last year launched something called uh, Coaches for Racial Justice. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's something that you know. Uh, the head coaches association led by, by Rick Carlisle, um, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks and Lloyd Pierce, uh, the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, who unfortunately just was, was, was let go. But, you know, those two guys have done an amazing job, particularly Lloyd of, of leading, you know, the head coaches who, you know, there's 30 of us, but then all of the assistant coaches. So you're getting up into a couple hundred total, And just trying to, to organize us and, you know, find ways to impact change, find ways to bring light to um, areas where, as a country, we need to have conversations, we need to have change, we need to, we need to be better. Um, part of being better is understanding our history. Part of being better is change going forward. And how can we really impact change, um, some very kind of, uh, you know, logistical, meaningful, not just talking about it ways. Um, and, 
And so I, I, I'm really proud of, of the head coach association. I'm proud to be a part of it. Um, you know, that we've all kind of been challenged to do things in our communities and, um, and it really starts there at the grassroots level. If, if we want to have change with social justice and racial justice. And, um, so it, it's, it's been a great organizational, um, opportunity for coaches and, and the leadership provided by Lloyd and Rick has been phenomenal and everybody, um, you know, is trying to, to, to help, you know, change our country and make our country better in, in you know, several important areas. So you mentioned at the beginning that, that you played a lot of different sports, pretty much every sport that was available to you. Um, are you still a sports fan outside of, of, of your, your work and what sports and teams do you follow? Yeah, I am. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I do think sometimes when you're in, professional sports you're just like i'm tired of sports i don't i don't but yeah. i don't i want to go I, to the opera yeah um <laughs> and i have a little bit of that too um but i i i do you know i, I love a college football game i love a, an nfl football game i watch some golf um you know college basketball even you know i i don't watch a lot of college regular season but the NCAA tournament you know i'm i'm, I'm just like you know if you guys like it's a tournament I'm not any different you know, I've got <laughs> I'm sitting there watching it and enjoying it and um at the end of the day you know sports is a big part of my life and I still I still just enjoy it and I there are times when when being in the middle of it and it's you know I, I do sometimes get the, the the NBA basketball fatigue or the NBA fatigue in a strange way and um but I can still sit down and watch a, a college football game and, and, and enjoy it and follow it. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that I still enjoy. So speaking the of Dodgers, the Dodgers winning oh. Dodgers, winning the world series. I grew up a huge Dodgers fan. Ah. Like, finally we did. It. <laughs> it like, holy crap. Uh, you think they can so repeat? That, yes, definitely. Um, so I mean, it, it's, it's so great. They've, they've been so successful. I love Kershaw, just his consistency and his competitiveness and for him to finally, you know, to win a, a world series. I'm so happy for him and Dave Roberts and all those guys, just, they've got a great team and it seems like, you know, they add more to it. I'm like, God, man, they're, they're well, they just, they keep bringing them in. So it, it's fun. So yeah, I love, I love sports. So as an old Cardinals fan, I'll have to, we'll have to have a side bet someday. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> well, you probably win this year. <laughs> yeah, my dad, my dad was an old Cardinals fan too, and still is. So I, uh, I've had a lot of years of, of you know, whatever, uh, bantering about the Cardinals and how good they are or aren't. So familiar with that. So as we record this, March Madness is you know, just about to begin. Um, are there any players you're going to be watching closely and beyond that do you have a favorite team and who do you pick to win it all yeah so no no and no I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well that was easy but <laughs> on that note no i'm just kidding <laughs> it, it, I, it's funny because the because of the draft that some of these names get floated by me during the season and mm -hmm. um and so I'm, I, I have at least a little bit of name recognition with a few of the guys, but I really, 
I don't watch very much regular season college basketball. Once in a while in a hotel room, I'll turn the TV on. And, and the, the, the favorite team part, I'm, I'm sad. And it's, it's, you know, hopefully it's a one year thing. And I, I grew up in Arizona. I'm a huge Arizona wildcat fan. And, <laughs> and so they, they've got, they, they're, they're in timeout this year there. And so they're, they, they, they're not going to any tournament. So my, Maybe I have a chance to win the bracket because I put Arizona as the champion every year, and so it's like, <laughs> now, now my my favorite my favorite team is out. So I'll have to use some brain power instead of just all my heart. Uh, and who's gonna win it? I have no idea. I do. I, Gonzaga's got a great coach, and I love that league and and where they are and just what what he's what Mark Few's done with that program is just awesome and. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, probably not supposed to say this, but if Gonzaga won it, I think that would just be an incredible story, an incredible coach, an incredible school, incredible league that, you know, I, I mean, Gonzaga has been really good for a long time, but if you follow college basketball, that's, that's not the norm. If you go back, you know, more yeah. than 10 or 20, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a team that came w. out of nowhere at some point and has become dominant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a unique story. So. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun, you know, whatever it takes, uh, you know, three weeks to to see, and I hope the NCAA can pull it off and 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 you know do it with as little or no, you know, bumps and and interruptions, and so yeah, it's an exciting time of the year. So on that note, we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, this has been fun. Uh, we've been talking with Milwaukee Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer. Thanks, Mike. This has this has been enjoyable. I, I hope it has been for you. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you guys. It's been a lot of fun. And to all who've stuck with us this far, thanks for listening to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. Stay safe and until next time.